Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have legendary rapper, wordsmith, hip-hop icon, freestyle, songwriter, executive, Papoose, who was recently named as TuneCore's head of hip-hop. Now that's the way to celebrate hip-hop turning 50. Coming up, I talked to Pap about how he started rapping in Brooklyn, how he earned the respect of the late great drama king, DJ K Slay. And he even came out of retirement for a moment and blessed us with one of his legendary freestyles. Up next, Papoose. Let's go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. This week's theme is Find Your Freedom. As many of you know, I celebrate Black history every day, every week, every month, year-round, on this very show but this episode in particular i want to highlight how much black culture is fueled by music and krs1 legendarily taught us hip-hop is more than just rapping with the microphone it's your lingo it's your fashion it's graffiti it's djing it's art it's a lifestyle it's how we express our joy anger ambitions, and even our pain. And on this week's episode, not only did Papoose break down how he got started in rap so very early, I challenged the legend to name me as many rappers as he could that grew up in Brooklyn. Because if you look at the history of hip-hop, you can't talk about it without naming Biggie, Jay-Z, most deaf, fabulous. The list goes on and on. And Papoose represents the history of the culture as well as anyone. And usually what all of those artists have in common is that they used music to find their own version of freedom. That's a beautiful thing. So let's celebrate the songs and albums that make you feel like yourself, that make you feel liberated. My next guest has a particular interest in creative freedom. 
And he happens to not only be one of the greatest rappers of all time, he's one half of one of the greatest hip-hop couples of all time. As he and Remy Ma are going on 15 years of celebrating their love. Coming up, I talked to Papoose about his hopes for his new position at TuneCore, his alphabetical slaughter, and how everywhere he goes, people wants him to say it, and what's next for artists as they should ask for equity in all of their deals. Up next, Papoose. If you recently been to Times Square, you had no choice but to see my next guest plastered everywhere. He's a legendary rapper, songwriter, and has bars, bars, bars for anybody all time in the game. Now he's been appointed the head of hip hop at TuneCore and is already hard at work in his new executive role. He's scouting rising talent and helping them find their path like he did his and much more. It is my honor to welcome my brother, the incredible Papoose to the Renaissance, man. What up, though? Peace, man. Yo, thanks for that intro. I don't know if I can live up to it, man, but thank you, brother. (laughs) Well deserved. Well deserved. You know, I got love for you. I'm a huge fan of yours. And before I get started... I want to make sure that the world knows I'm going to dedicate, we're going to dedicate this episode to the legendary Drama King, DJ K Slay. Yes, man. I appreciate that. That's love, bro. Absolutely. No question about it. And, And I know your background, but I want the audience to get familiar with you. Before we dive into your new role of helping rising artists, tell our audience when you started carving out your role as an artist growing up in Brooklyn. Definitely, man. Man, growing up in Brooklyn, I, I always, to be honest with you, it was always my dream to become an artist since I was a kid, just watching the greats like Big Daddy Kane and all of these artists on Video Music Box, you know what I'm saying? And one day I said, you know what, I'm going to try to write me a rhyme. And I, I wrote one and I, I went to school, I, I said it to my friends, and when I got that reaction, from, from that moment right there, I said, this is what I want to do in my life. And um, I just started perfecting my craft over the years. And, um, man, it, it wasn't easy to get in the game, though. Mm. So um, I started selling CDs. I, I, I pressed up my own CD. I started selling them out the trunk of my car. And I had heard a DJ on the radio, and he was doing something real interesting to me. Because at that time, if you wasn't on Rockefeller, Rough Rider, or Murder, mm-hmm. Inc., he wasn't getting in the, in the, in the music mm-hmm. business. He wasn't, he wasn't going to make no name for yourself. But this DJ caught my attention because he was playing new artists on the radio. So I was like, yo, I got to meet this dude, man. So I went and um, I looked up Hot 97 address and I went to the radio. And by the way, that was DJ K Slay. Rest, rest in peace to Slay. Now, I had my CD and I just waited for him at the radio. And I gave him my CD. The first time he... He didn't play it on the radio, but I was consistent. I came back week after week. I came back and um, 
Eventually, me and him got into it because he got tired of me bothering him. <laughs> and, and I got tired of him not playing my CD. And in the process of that altercation, the person he was with, he mediated it. He said, yo, don't worry, I got you. And then I was back in the hood in Brooklyn, discouraged and going through different trials and tribulations. And in the middle of a situation, my phone rang. And it was Case Clay. He said, you're on the radio next week. Wow. The rest is history. That's dope. K Slay, not only a legendary DJ for those that don't know, one of the great ears for the street and for the culture, always kept his ears to the ground, always was about discovering new talent and always holding everybody accountable. And he ain't a little dude. So tell yeah. me about encountering him and doing what you needed to do to earn his respect. Yeah, man. I, yo, I was so hungry at the time, bro. And you, you right. Slay no little dude, man. But I was so <laughs> hungry. I didn't even care, bro. I was like, yo, I need to get on. I need to get off these Brooklyn streets, man. I got, I know I got the talent because I was battling in the street and it was like a cheat code. You know what I'm saying? Like we used to make money just, yo, yo, come battle my man. And I used to kill cats. So I just, I was so ambitious. I was like, I don't even care. I need to meet this dude because I never heard nobody play new artists on the radio. Mm -hmm. I can't even believe I'm hearing this. So when I first had that encounter with him, man, it didn't go well, man, because when I initially gave him the CD, my young mind, I'm like, okay, I gave a DJ that's on the radio my CD. I'm going to be on the radio. So I went back to Brooklyn and I'm listening and I don't hear my song. I'm like, yo, what the heck? <laughs> I ain't playing my damn song. Like, I look like this hot. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back next week, and I'm going to go back. And every time I did it, he didn't play it. So I said, I know what I'm going to do. This time when I get his dude my CD, I'm not leaving. I'm going to wait downstairs. <laughs> and if he don't play it, he's going to have to explain to me why. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the car, and I'm listening. He only on for two hours. He go off at 2 a.m. It's like 1.58 or 155 or whatever, and I still don't hear my song. So I call up on the radio. I'm like, yo. Why you ain't playing? Why you ain't playing my song? And he knew who I was, bro. He knew he me. He said, "Yo, listen, man. Everybody can't be a rapper. Some people gotta be a fireman." <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Yo, I said that's it. It's lit when this dude come downstairs, man." So he came down, and I went at him. He went at me, and dude stepped right in the middle of us. And for some reason, I believed him. He was like, "Yo, I got you," mm -hmm. and I just fell back, man. And, like I said, man, when I was back in the hood, man, I got that phone call from Slay. Mm -hmm. And when he brought me on the radio, rest in peace, Prodigy was up there. And we always rapping on the air. Yo, the rest was history, man. Me and Slay, that became my brother, my mentor. We did so much together. We ended up getting a $1.5 million record deal uh, with Job Records, man. That was crazy. And that's why for so many reasons, you're the perfect person to be in the position that you are in now. Because... You got it from the trunk. You got it from the mud. Not only freestyling, selling, and pressing CDs, but the work ethic, the discipline to keep going back to the radio station, to keep writing your rhymes, keep paying your dues. So what was it like for you once you got that $1.5 million deal? Man, when me and Slay started rocking, we like we was terrorizing the street, man. I'm talking about we was dropping mixtape after mixtape. I was doing a lot of things that signed artists were doing, but I wasn't signed yet. A lot of people don't know that during that whole period of time when me and Slay was working, I was unsigned. Mm. And then I ended up getting on a record with uh, Buster Rhymes, the Touch Your Remix. It was Buster, 
Mary, mm. um, DMX, Missy Elliott. I ended up getting on that record, and that made it even worse for cats. So they really hated me back then. No doubt. And I was just killing shit, killing shit, grinding. And eventually, and Slay was just threatening the labels on every mixtape. Like, yo, y'all better hurry up and sign them. I don't know what y'all hating for. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, a bidding war started. You know what I'm saying? Nas reached out to me. I sat down with Nas at a, at a pizza shop in Lower Manhattan. And he was going to Def Jam with Jay-Z at the time. He made an offer. And um, Interscope made an offer. It was a couple different labels who showed interest in me. You know what I'm saying? Back then, me and Swiss almost did some. Swiss reached out. But Job came in with the highest number, which was 1.5 million. It was crazy because I had did a freestyle. And I, and I said at the end of the freestyle, the $1.5 million man. And Slay was like, yo, Pat, you got to change that, man. Got, I'm like, yo, what, man? What's wrong? He's like, oh, man, nah, man, just change it. And, and I didn't have the deal yet. Mm. And I changed it. And then the next week, they came with that offer, $1.5 million, bro. And um, to answer your question, it was actually one of the worst mistakes I ever made, man. Because I lost creative control. They started trying to tell me how to make records. They were upset that I was jumping. All the things that I was doing when I was independent, the label would complain. Because I would always, if someone made a record, I would do my version of it and put it out. And that would, that would put me on tour. That would keep me on the road doing shows because people wanted to hear my version of it. Mm-hmm. And they, they just would be complaining about it. And um, oh, and then when it was time for me to make the record, my single, and they would have so be over-opinionated. So the creative mm-hmm. control, it kind of messed me up. And then eventually we ended up parting ways with them. Because of that, we just kept bumping heads too many times. It was a bunch of other moving parts. And I, I, in hindsight, I wish I would have stayed independent, mm-hmm. which I am now with TuneCore, because I would have never, my career wouldn't have got put to a hold for a minute. You know what I'm saying? So everything happened for a reason, but I was happy to sign that. So don't let me say it. I was happy to sign that $1.5 million deal, man. But eventually, it was a mistake. And, and, and as a fan of yours, I saw that happen. They put the handcuffs on you. Like mm-hmm. what made you who you are is was battling, freestyling, and your, your versatility and flexibility and your creativity. And yeah. once you got with the label, they were like, make these sort of type songs so we could get you on the radio, so we mm-hmm. could get you on this sort of remix. And then I felt like your deal almost became a target. That yeah. people was like jealous that you got the bread, and mm-hmm. then you went to the label and you were kind of handcuffed with your creativity. How did you feel throughout that process? Man, it was it was very frustrating, man. At the time, like everything that could go poss- that could possibly go wrong, went wrong around that time. You know what I'm saying? I was young, I was fresh out of Brooklyn. I had to, I had a somewhat of a, uh, I would say, I want to say ignorant, but I had the mentality. It was all I knew. I had the mentality of, because like you said, a lot of people was jealous that I had that deal. Yep. So a lot of hate and obstacles were getting put in my way. So in my young mind at that time, if someone gets to my way, we're going to go Brooklyn on them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's what, that's what we was doing, to be honest with you, because dudes was hating on me, bro. And the fans loved me, the people embraced me, but certain people in positions of power, they were just doing a lot of hating from behind the scenes. And... I dealt with it the wrong way. I should have ignored it and stayed focused on my craft, but instead I entertained it. That made things worse because that started to give me a bad name. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this dude is doing X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and you can't mix the streets with the right. industry. You can't. Right. A lot of dudes think you could do it. You're going to pay. It's a big mistake. So 
I had to learn that. So I blame myself. I don't blame the haters back then, mm-hmm. but you know, they were hating on me and I reacted in the in an ignorant way. You know what I'm saying? And that that contributed to my demise at that time. You know, also around that time my wife blew trial. So I kind of lost my my drive. I'm like, you know what, I gotta support her. I was mm-hmm. just uh, she was even telling me, "Yo, you got to get back to work," and I was like, "I don't care right now." I was just supporting for a long period of time, so my deal folded. My yes. wife blew trial, so you know I had to start all over again, bro. And now, fifteen years later, you and the queen Remy Ma get a chance to celebrate your marriage with the golden child. Congratulations, <laughs> my brother! Thank Talk you, about bro. the progression of you guys' relationship because the one thing about being public figures is we get a chance to see you guys happy and celebrating on the red carpet, suited and booted, but we also get a chance to see you guys go through turbulence. So just talk about what it's been like over those 15 years having a high-profile relationship but still being able to maintain your loyalty and love. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, you know, we, we, we took it one day at a time always. You know, my wife being incarcerated, I don't want to say it was a blessing in disguise, but one of the things it taught us was communication. I feel like a lot of relationships fail because the, the communication isn't there. Mm-hmm. But when she was away, all we could do was talk. You know what I mean? When I would when I would go visit her, they would say, put your hands on the table. And even if we did have a disagreement, we came up with because our time was so limited. Mm-hmm. So we came up with this with this system that whenever she's speaking, I gotta be totally quiet. Whenever mm-hmm. I'm speaking, she has to be totally mm-hmm. quiet. You can't respond. You can't Love say that. anything. And in the process of doing that, I realized that. You know, because sometimes when two people are getting into it and you feel like you're right and that person feels like they're right, it can really lead to something real bad because you're passionate yeah. about your feeling. But when yeah. you actually listen to a person talk, you realize, damn, I didn't mean to make you, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't know I made you feel mm-hmm. that way. So you'll mm-hmm. actually see where you was wrong at. Yeah. Because none of us are perfect. You know what I'm saying? So with, within us doing that, that built our level of communication. So with that communication, man, regardless of what happens, we're always able to talk through it. So when we went on Love and Hip Hop and went on television and all that, it was nothing they can put in front of us that can cause a, a bad Because we was already right. built, built tough. We done right. survived the tornado, the hurricane. Right. Hey, you know what I'm saying? With her being away, it, it, it was difficult. But we, we got through it. And um, we took that with us into the industry, man. And we always use that. So I think that's what keeps us going, just that communication and, and that loyalty. 